This is The Great Equalizer, a parenting podcast about the realities of being a mom or dad in the 2020s. We are your hosts, Sam and Charlene, and we believe we're all rocking the same kind of crazy. So let's get real, let's get honest, and let's have a laugh about the ups and downs of our current upside down. Hashtag no judges. On this episode of The Great Equalizer, we're looking closely at maternal mental health in South Africa against the backdrop of the trial and sentencing of Lauren Dickerson with special guest and mama four, Raylene de Villiers. Hello and welcome to all our viewers and listeners. To those of you who know us well, you'll recognize that... We are changing things up a bit in this episode Um, in terms of both structure and tone. We've decided to tackle a very heavy topic, probably our our heaviest to date, uh, because we believe we wouldn't be doing our jobs as mothers or podcasters in the motherhood space if we didn't. As always, we endeavor to maintain a degree of respect for all viewpoints and to uphold our hashtag no judges policy. The point of this discussion is to shed some light on a dark topic so that those of you who feel the need to talk about it and make sense of it, or even those who might be at risk of falling prey to similar circumstances, have a space to listen, grow and grieve. As always, everyone is a seat at our table and we're looking here to make sense of an often sad and scary world. So we're starting this episode with a content warning to those of you who don't yet feel ready for this discussion for whatever reason. And if at any point during the next two episodes you are worried about your or someone else's mental health, contact your GP please or your local clinic or uh, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, SADAG, on 011-234-4837. For additional resources, we will be including those in our show notes, so please refer to them. Also, if you need to take a step back and protect your energy, please do so. But please stay tuned if you've wanted a space to think and talk about this conversation and didn't know where to go. This is why we're here. Today on The Great Equalizer, we are going to focus on maternal mental health in the context of the Dickerson tragedy, which has been in the news for the last two or so years, but more so in the past few months when mom of three and fellow South African Lauren Dickerson was convicted in the New Zealand courts for the murder of her three daughters, Leonay, who was six at the time, and Carla and Maya, the twins who were two. The South African mom of three had recently immigrated to New Zealand. Uh, Her husband, Graham, is an orthopedic surgeon, and the family immigrated on a job opportunity he had in New Zealand. The tragedy occurred weeks after they had settled in their new home on the evening of the first day that the twins went to school. I want to again reiterate here that our intention in the episode, which again is going to take place over two episodes, is to open up a conversation around maternal mental health with a focus on IVF in part two and not to provide a blow-by-blow of what happened or to place judgment in any way. It's likely also that we're going to get things wrong. Perhaps we'll say the wrong thing or provide incorrect context in one way or the other. But we are doing our best to present this conversation in a way that stays true to the story and helps unpack the feelings of many of us who have stayed tuned to watch this 
uh, transpire or what has transpired and what information has come to light over the last two years. So what we think is important here is to provide, up, so is to provide context for why this story resonated so deeply for so many families in South Africa and to look at where we can go from here as a, as a society um, and to unpack maybe how or why this happened. Yeah, and so, so that brings us to our special in-studio guest, Raylene de Villiers. Welcome, Raylene, and thank you for joining us on The Great Equalizer. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, it's a great uh, opportunity to discuss infertility and, of course, the aftermath of that, which is motherhood. Indeed. <laughs> Raylene. Um, you are a mom of four and a baby sleep consultant based uh, right here with us in Johannesburg. Raylene's also a so-called IVF warrior. Um, and at one point during uh, her IVF journey, Raylene had been chatting almost daily with Lauren Dickerson over WhatsApp. Together, the friends were part of an IVF support group and got to know each other pretty well in those early years. Supporting each other through the trials of IVF and many losses incurred between the two women. Raylene, thank you so much uh, for joining us and to open up about this very difficult topic. Thank you. It is difficult. Very hard. Well, we appreciate you being here, um, as Charlene said. And um, I want to reiterate yeah, that we're recording this episode now mid-September. Um, and it was this past weekend that marked two years to the day that the news landed on our shores about what happened about Lauren Dickerson. People's reactions were varying and extreme. So I want to start off with hearing what what you thought. What were your thoughts when you heard the news um, of what happened, especially because you knew Lauren so intimately? Yes. When the news broke in South Africa, I, to be completely honest with you, did not believe it I did not believe it was Lauren who had done it. Um, I thought, oh, shame, they've moved all the way to New Zealand and here an intruder has, has come in to their house. That is how, I, how much I believed that this was or could not be the Lauren that I knew back then. What were your thoughts, Charlene? You know, I, the, I just had an overwhelming feeling of... Sadness. I just felt, oh, um, you know, when you like want to grab your hair, just be like, oh my God, this is so sad. I don't know these people. But when I read it, I just felt sad for her. That was the first thing that came up. I was like, oh my God, this poor, this poor woman, what she must have been going through was my first thought. And then secondly, was questions start coming up like, Where's the dad? You know, how, how must he be feeling? What what happened here? Yeah. Just like it, I was confused and overwhelmed with sadness Absolutely. for them and the situation. Obviously, because I didn't know them, or you know, I guess if it's someone you knew, you'd be shocked. You'd be like, oh, I can't believe that this is true. Like you've explained. For me, I just I had an overwhelming feeling of sadness. This poor family. This poor woman. Just, I feel sorry for everyone, and there must be more to the story. Absolutely, I, I, when I heard that it was actually genuinely her that had done it, um, I immediately thought she must have been insane. Something was wrong. Something was definitely wrong because that's not the Lauren I knew at all. 
So reactions from the South African public were largely polarized, right? Um, and what I what upset me when I first kind of started digesting the information because I can't exactly remember what my my first reaction was, but I I remember kind of you know thinking about it and and thinking about how I would piece together what I eventually wrote about in my professional capacity. And the thing that really saddened me was the people saying, what kind of a mother? And what we do on our show and what we've always done is we're all in this together. Motherhood is a beast. Parenting in South Africa is a beast. And what kind of a mother? I can't bring myself to ask that question. Well, I, put, I put my hand up and I said, this is what I've been through and I had help. And, you know, by the same token, people often bring up Lauren's um, privilege and they often bring up her um, experience as a doctor. And for me, I just felt that her journey as a mother was not taken into consideration until that point. Or what I think it showcased um, how South Africa holds our mothers and, and my op-ed, I wrote an op-ed on it which I got a lot of hate for, <laughs> called um, Who is to Blame for the Dickerson Tragedy? We Are South Africa. That kind of unpacked, you know, my experience postpartum. And we always say this in the mothering community. You go to your six-week checkup and what do they tell you? You're good to go. You can have sex now. And you're like, is that it? That's often and that it's not everywhere. Um, so I am making a generalization, but that is largely how mothers are, are held in the in the postpartum um, years, and we are we will be talking about IVF and how um, families are held during the IVF process. But now we know what happened uh, following a blow by blow account in the media. You know, you can read everything because Lauren and her husband Graham were put on the stand, and they they gave pretty much all the details. There it is. And the thing is, she was convicted of murder. Um, and we will be unpacking that conviction. Um, she's now awaiting sentencing. It's been two years since the incident. Ray, you followed the trial quite closely. And again, we are not here giving the blow-by-blow account of these proceedings. But I'm curious to know, did anything come to light for you during the trial, during the coverage? You know, Was there something that made you go, aha, well, or, you know... Okay. Because there were plenty of instances for me that I that I thought, well, that's interesting and that makes sense or that doesn't make sense. Yes, absolutely. So um, I, I listened and I read the entire trial every single day. So um, there's not a lot I haven't read about the trial. And um, on Lauren's admission, she said on the day that these murders happened – was the first day the twins were at school, which meant she was alone for the first time in many, many weeks because of the COVID lockdown. At, right? least, at least four months, but probably longer. Probably longer, right. So the first day she's been alone and um, she's told she has to go for another psychiatric evaluation to get her visa for New Zealand. Um, according to her... On that day, she said she would have been locked up if a psychiatrist had, had evaluated, evaluated her. her. Those were her words. And for me, 
what I feel about that is she should never have been left alone, ever. Because she was in, she was in such a bad state that she knew it, which means that her husband should have known it as well. And she should never have been left alone at home with those children. She was a danger to herself and to the children and those around her. And so what I get from the trial is that um, South African women, we're, we're always like, it's cool. Don't worry. You go out. You go have fun. I've got this. I've got this here at home. I've got it with the, the twins. I've got it with Lene, who was the older one. Um, and I think that she did not have it. And she should not have been left alone by herself that night. Um, either she should have said, help me, which in South Africa, we don't often say that as mothers. And the thing is, as well, is when you say, help me to your partner, Many partners don't know what to do to help you. Um, so I just feel that it's this is the part where you go back and you say he said, she said, and the blame game. But if we're all honest here, I think that if she was in that state, she should never have been left alone ever with her children. Um, and I think that is the, the greatest travesty of this whole event is that she never asked for help. And her husband, which was the only support that she had in the country at the time, also couldn't see the state that she was in. Yeah, I guess on that point, I I feel the same on that point. That for me, my biggest question was how surely somebody must have seen or noticed. There had to be there had to be some signs. And I mean, not even signs. I mean, surely there had to be some verbal communication that there was not rational thoughts thoughts here. But remember that she had just arrived in a country and she knew no one. So the teachers where she dropped her twins off didn't know her. They didn't know her. Her neighbors (laughs) didn't know her. They didn't have a basis to compare of Lauren. They just saw this Mm. person who they assumed was normal but they had no basis to compare. What about before? Before the family left for South Africa, and I'd, like, I don't want to dwell too much on, on speculation, but there was precedent of Lauren having sought psychiatric help at the urging of, of her husband, Graham, um, because she admitted to having violent thoughts against her children. Mm. Right? You know that You know this... Story inside out, Raylene. So there was supposedly a family at back home uh, who is now grieving. Um, So I don't want to discount that. But also a team of doctors, surely, who held her or were supposed to hold her. You should have red flagged her. Yeah. So, guys. If, if this was you, what would you want if you were at such a point? In South Africa, let's not even displace us and, and take us through the, the trauma of immigrating because that is a trauma. If it's just the three of us in this room, right, and we're staying in South Africa and we are at this point of depression, anxiety, borderline psychosis, if not actual psychosis, that 
that we are thinking of harming our children, mm-hmm. what would you want as a mother? What, I, what would you need? I guess someone who is in a, a for me, in a, who is in a mental, more rational mental state to just take over. Yes. Even if it's against my will, yes. because I think I know what's best for me. Because yes. I feel like I am, I'm the mother to these children, but I'm, I'm a danger to them. And I might not like to hear it, but I'm also a danger to myself. And so at the risk of self-harm or harming others, somebody needs to take responsibility here because they're also responsible for the life of my children. Yep. So or the lives of, of my children. Family, friends who know you, they know your baseline. And when they're comparing your baseline to what you are now, someone needs to take control and quickly. And I guess, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, this family's grieving, like you said, Sam. So I'm, I'm not in their shoes. We were not in their shoes. We don't know the situation. But I guess the perspective that, I'm coming from or that we're trying to just unpack here is what kind of support do we have for mothers in this country and how can we how can we maybe fine tune that or like just talk about these things so that we we can we can build an infrastructure for moms who feel this way mm-hmm. or who might be starting to feel intrusive thoughts but so we can prevent this. Or to normalize those intrusive thoughts. Or to normalize thoughts. those intrusive yeah. thoughts so that you can feel the, the freedom to say, I'm scared. Yeah. I, because the reason moms don't voice their feelings is for fear of judgment. Because what do we do? We label you a terrible mother. What kind of a mother says things like that? What kind of a mother thinks like that? That's the problem, in my opinion. So I'm going to say this at, at the risk of villainizing Graham and even Lauren's family, which I, I suppose I've, I've already implicated myself in that. But um, what struck me most was the way that society, the media, framed coverage of this this court, uh, the, the trial. Um, there was there was rarely ever any mention of that. The only thing people or, or the media reported was that Graham went for a work dinner, and I—he's <laughs> an orthopedic surgeon, you know—and I just, I feel like we don't interrogate that enough in terms of there being two parents to the children that exist in the world, and that the responsibility, the sole responsibility, lies on the mother, and that. As mothers, we need to always have our shit together. And I'm going to say that up against my own experience so that I, I can just frame how I see the problem sy- systemically within our society. And that when I was newly postpartum, during COVID, very similar time that Lauren was probably most str- struggling um, and was due to immigrate, um, my husband traveled a lot at the time and... Um, you know, I was I was really trying to put on a brave face. I am someone who struggles myself to ask for help. And I felt shame for ever asking. Um, you know, I felt shame for getting a nanny. I felt like I should be able to handle it all. 
And uh, there was one particular moment that I had an instance of mom rage, which we are also going to unpack and get to and and look at against, you know, you know, murder because we're not equating the two. Um, but I did have an instance of mom rage where I screamed at my children, who Noah was at the time two months, two or three months, and Elijah was young, four. When I think of them now, I think, yo, yo how must they have felt? They were proper scared. And I remember Ray walking in to the house and I just broke down and said, I don't, I don't, I need help. Had he put me in the car and taken me to seek psychiatric help, I probably wouldn't have fought him. Fought him. And um, it's tough because I don't think he knew how to help me. I'm asking for help and I don't think he knew. And then mm. there I want to I say that's not because men are clueless and idiots. That's because we live in a society that allows for women to shoulder most of the responsibility. And also there's no, there isn't there's enough no. experience for these fathers. that They don't have experience with this. As we're all navigating 100%. these emotions and things for the first time, we, that's just your average Joe who is not uh, a therapist, psychiatrist, or medical professional, just a guy who looks after his family and sees his wife struggling. And they, we don't, I guess, talk about this stuff enough for there to be enough. Inf the information's on the Internet. It's there. You can go read up about it. But in your wildest dreams, you don't necessarily think that that's going to happen to me. So in that instant... What do you do as a partner to be like, hold on, let me Google what to do and my wife's having a mental breakdown? <laughs> How do I and, – and, and also, like, shit needs to get done. Your husband still needs to – I've never, I've never um, resented my husband for, for traveling, for work, for doing what he needs to do to support our family. And that's the narrative that men are given. Support your family, be there, be the breadwinner. And we're not going to go into gender divide and, um, you know, fair, equitable labor within the home. That's a, that's a whole other, you know, case to crack. But nobody's given the support or the resources. It's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, but it shouldn't be. So yes. in our antenatal classes, what are we doing to support parents when they're at the end of their tether? And how much of our antenatal classes uh, of the actual curriculum or the content, course content covers mental health postnatal depression exactly mm. what are the symptoms or the signs for a partner to be able to know something's yeah. going down here and i need to do something about it or is it a daddy you know some mm. moms might suffer a bit of the baby blues mm. and so you can go read up about that is that is that the extent of it there's a pamphlet for you yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if yeah it's but at six weeks you know you can go mm. have sex again mm. please because you're definitely Ready. So Good ready to go, mentally yeah. and physically. Um, another thing that I think was, is not spotlighted near enough and wasn't in the trial. So there were a few things in the trial that I go, hang on, okay, why focus on that but not on this? So we're going to get to the text messages. But first I want to I ask you, Ray, what do you think of the fact that doctors in our country can prescribe medication to themselves and handle their own medication? <laughs> You're not a doctor. None of us are doctors, yeah? So I really am just like throwing it out to the peanut gallery. For an opinion on the matter. Yeah. Look, 
South Africa is a third world country. So we we fly below the radar most times in terms of like prescribing to yourself or for others as a favor. Yes, it shouldn't be done. But what should have been done and what she should have done is at least follow up with her own psychiatrist on, hey, this is what I'm on. What do you think? Or I'm dropping the dose. What do you think? Okay, so just devil's advocate here. Do we know that that didn't happen? And what is the protocol? No, like, what, did that come up in the trial? I didn't. I didn't follow the trial as closely. What, was that question asked? The question was asked, and the reply was she didn't want to have it on her medical record for the immigration. You see, yeah, that they, she went to a psychiatrist. So, the prescribing of her own medication and taking herself off that same medication. Was it's, to achieve the goal of just let's just get immigrated, yes. let's just get there. Let's just get there and then I'll deal with this when I'm there mm. kind of thing. So we chatted about this a little bit before. This, that, And that was an interesting thing that you guys brought up is mothers have this. Let's just quickly finish this and then we'll get to, you know, you have a triage situation. Yes, you, you got have a lot on your hands. you got to handle life like a triage situation. And Sam and I often talk each other through it. Okay, we're in triage. What do we do first kind of thing, you know? When you feel overwhelmed and you feel that overwhelm of life, yes. you cannot possibly, because when you look at the bigger picture, it, it will knock you the fuck down. Oh, no, it will. So you need to break it into bite-sized chunks, chunks yeah. and eat it little by little. And so that's what you do. Okay, okay. I will get through this. I just have to get through this. And I can I can from the outside in imagine where she must have been with these intrusive thoughts maybe surfacing and thinking, okay, I've got this. I know I will feel this way. Having gone if I bring it back to myself from my own personal experience, having gone off antidepressants, weaning myself off antidepressants recently. I was very aware to the changes in my body and my thoughts and how I felt. And I I would sit for a moment and live with how I'm feeling and thinking, okay, what is this really? I know I should be expecting to feel this way because of that and because of that. And then you think to yourself, okay, well, this is this was certainly my experience and I, I, I cannot even compare my situation to Lauren because I cannot imagine what she must be going through, must have been going through. But if I take it from my own experience, those thoughts pop into your mind or like any kind of panicked thoughts or anxiety or whatever it is, and you kind of suppress them and you're like, okay, I know why this is happening. I just need to get a handle on it. Let me just, I feel overwhelmed. I feel stressed. This is a stressful situation, but I can handle this. Just because you need to get, it's a means to an end. You just need to get through over this little hurdle, then over that little hurdle. And I, I mean, I honestly, how much of that are we all doing on a daily basis with all support yeah. in our own country with none of the aggravating circumstances? Absolutely. Yeah, I relate that. When you mentioned that, I was like, guilty, guilty this week. And it's just, Let it me might just be, get through this quickly. It might be trivial things like, mm -hmm. oh, it's show and tell this week. Okay, that, so you you take the, the week plan and you're like, okay, we've got this, this, and this. This is what we're going to focus on for this week. I'm not even going to think about exams for my kids or this for next week. I can't even let that enter my mind because I just have to get through this week. And then next week and rinse and fucking repeat.
And I think that's what happened with the medication. I'm sure of it because she was probably thinking to herself, well, let me wean off so I can get to New Zealand. Once I'm there, I'll sort all of this out. Yes, simple solution. Also because you come second. And so I don't, I don't want to speculate any more about Lauren in particular, but I do want to bring it back to, I mean, just the other day, I was hugging a friend, um, another mom friend at um, Drop-Off. She came to greet me and she's like, I actually need this hug more than you do, but hi. And because we don't often get to touch base because we don't have time. Mm -hmm. She gave me a hug and I had to kind of swallow my cry. And guys, I'm not going through any particular like trauma. I'm not grieving a loss right now. I'm just highly anxious. And I feel like December is weighing down on me. And we were chatting between, you know, two or three of us moms in the, in the par parking lot and kind of all felt the same way, the same weight. And I was rubbing my neck and this friend of mine is a physio and she's like, what's happening? What are you, what are you doing right now? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, like, it's sore here, but I can handle that. But what is this burning sensation? Is it me typing a lot? And she's like, the fact that it's sore here is, and she explained it all. And she's like, I've got a cancellation right now. Come. And I was like, I can't. I couldn't drop everything that I needed to do from there and go. And she just said, Sam, you're going to break if you don't. And I said, you know what? If you rub whatever this is out and I'm going to cry. Like if I have. <laughs> Plus it'll be back in 24 hours. <laughs> it'll I'll be back to, in 24 I'll hours. I'll have to just like have a standing booking with you yeah. every other day. <laughs> yeah. Because it's going to be back. And I was like, I'm going to cry and I'm not going to stop crying. And she's like, but you need it. It's energy release. It needs to flow through you. And, you know, she's really smart in that way that it's not you broken if you are crying. It's your energy flowing through you. But I was like. It's problematic the fact that I don't have time for yourself, for myself, but that mm. I that that I come lost. And so you can say again, we're going veering back into speculation, but you can say as much as what you want. Lauren was a doctor; she should have known better. Lauren was a mother, and she did not put herself first. Guaranteed, guaranteed, guaranteed. Not because she didn't want to. So from a just from a just think about what other people must be going through. If that's what you're feeling, if that's what all of us are feeling, just on the daily, in a normal situation, nothing out of the ordinary is really happening for us. It's just life. If that's yes. what we're feeling. Yeah. It's a lot. Yes. So again, we're not giving a blow by blow of the trial, but something else happened that was very triggering for me during the court proceedings and something that didn't sit right with me. And I actually had a discussion with both Charlene and my husband, Ray, about it. Um, the text messages used as evidence against Lauren did not sit right with, with me from an ethical point of view. 31,000 plus text messages that were poured over. And yeah, just give us some context there, maybe, Sam, because I don't know if anybody, if everyone listening knows what happened there. So these text messages, and Raylene, please, you can jump in because I did need to take a break from the, the trial proceedings. I needed to protect my energy. Yeah. So um, I did not, I got the alerts daily. Um, I did not deep dive into them every day. Yeah. But there were 31,000 text messages between Lauren and a friend or perhaps even multiple friends mm. um, that indicated that that was used to kind of her. implicate 
her she, premeditation of these murders. That she yeah. was angry, perhaps. I don't know what. I can't even recall what the text messages said, for instance. But I can say what my text messages have said to Charlene from time to time. Oh, my God, I'm going to fucking kill my kids. They are driving me insane. Yes. Could be realistically... I don't know. I'll have to look through all of my messages or I'm maybe clear scared. them at this point. There were two that I, that I recall. And the one was her kids were in a swimming pool. And the caption was, my kids are fucking crazy. They obviously deleted the photo and just used the words. Um, the so to kind one, of prove that yes. she hates them. Yes. But meanwhile, they were in a swimming pool in winter in Johannesburg. So, oh, right. They're acting. This is nuts. Um, so she's captioned it, my kids are fucking crazy, meaning they're weird because they're swimming in winter, not because I want to kill them. And the second one was, um, I think it was between her and her husband, but it was something about uh, her husband said something about, I'm so glad I, I stopped you killing them tonight because they're quite cute or Something along those lines, which was a joke, right? Which is frightening because I am pretty sure that my husband has texted me something similar where I've been at my wit's end and he's had to leave for work or go to the shop or something and texts me and goes, I hope I'm coming back and, and everyone's still alive. Yes. And um, exactly. Or he'll work, walk into the house and even say to me, "It's just like, sure, this is not what I expected because I'm like, like two hours later than usual, and you're not tearing your hair out, you're laughing, or you're, it happened last week." He's like, "I did not expect there to be such a cheerful disposition <laughs> in this household." And uh, you know, parenting is hard, and I think we can all agree, and I think we can also all agree that Lauren is not alone in sending. Supportive texts to and from friends or joke, joking texts, you know, to or from a friend or a family member to your husband in a similar vein. And like I say, I, after that was used against her, and I don't, I don't think that I'm at risk of what Lauren was at risk for. Um, but it, it could be used, what I say could, be, could have been used against me, so you know. Brene Brown, right, my favorite author. She says sarcasm should never be written down, should never be texted or emailed mm. because you cannot infer what the person who sent it was meaning. Mm. So sarcasm is left best said face to face and not written down. Because there's so much that goes with it. I mean, facial expression, exactly. body language. There's a lot that is required to deliver that in context and for that to be used against her you know what you know what that means it means that you cannot be honest with your friends or family you or cannot your even joke you, you cannot even joke. joke about your situation because no. you feel overwhelmed i mean i i am so guilty of of joking and you know what not even joking there are times that i genuinely despise motherhood <laughs> I will say so on the record I have said so on the record a million times before and I have articulated that in text messages in discussions with groups of friends on this podcast there are times that I really dislike it 
So I, it breaks my heart and it terrifies me for mothers if this is, if this is what we're doing. If this, and, and I mean, what did I do when the trial first started and they started using the text messages against her? Like I say, I, I had a talk with Charlene and Ray and I said, no more on WhatsApp. We, we can't do this anymore. Not, not because either of us feel at risk of harming ourselves or our children, but this is the reality. This is the world we live in. That that will be used against me, my private messages. That they're, they're not private. They belong to Meta. So let that also be a warning to anybody sending Maybe my husband decides to, to divorce husband. me one day and we're in a Musha custody yeah, battle. 100%. And my WhatsApps get commissioned as evidence in that, tr- yeah. you know. As evidence against me. Now it you can have your children taken away way. for a joke. Yes. For a joke, exactly. So there was that for me that stood out in the trial. And the day the verdict was passed out. And it so her she never she never denied murdering her children, but she did plead not guilty for murder. So remember also in law there are technicalities and um, words are very important yes. in the way the terminology. Phrase, yes. yes. So she, Lauren, pleaded guilty for infanticide and not guilty for murder, but she was found guilty for murder. So I'll tell you what I felt during the moment, but I want to hear from you when the verdict landed. What were your thoughts and feelings? I was shocked, devastated. I was shocked. so heartbroken. It's, there's no words. Why? So articulate it for me because Because she, she is in a prison anyway. She doesn't have her children. Her marriage is never going to survive something like that. She would never have been set free. And even if she was... If she were to get the psychological help that she needed to, there's nothing that anyone could say to her that she won't be, like, putting on herself. Because it's not only about Lauren. Mm. That's why. Yes. It's about every other mother who's ever had these thoughts. That that's the impact. Yeah. Lauren is in her own jail. Mm. Forever. So it's not really about her anymore. It's about how a country like New Zealand can not see that this was not what cold, this means for mothers. Cold, cold-hearted murder. This was a broken woman, a broken woman, and now she must be beaten more with a stick. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more because. That means that there's, this is looked, as an, looked at as an isolated incident of a person who is just a monster and no more questions are asked beyond that point, really. How did she get there? Where did the system fail her? Where is the system failing other mothers? What can we as a society do to prevent this from happening in future? Because, hey, hold on a minute – this is happening more frequently. Yeah. But then that's the thing is that's not Lauren's case was not an isolated incident. And a lot of or some of the criticism that is doled out, 
there's there's a mother in the in the US who was jailed very recently. You'll maybe recall her name. It's very much in the news and being reported on. Yes, it's the the influencer. Uh, I forget. Oh, Ruby. Yes, Ruby. Ruby. Yeah, Ruby. I Someone. Yes. Yeah. And this is a influencer who was jailed recently or um, arrested excuse me for allegedly allegedly abusing her children and we won't get into that because that's not it's not the same premise as no. this at all but they, the what they, where there are similar premises is that there is now a tension on ruby of oh, how could she have done that she was very much in the in the public eye she um and a lot of millions she, of followers and a lot of what she was doing was actually publicly was publicly available yeah. and Nobody at any point said, hold on, this is abuse. This, what she's doing here is abuse. And so why it's shocking and part of the framework of that is because she's a white, um, you know, upper middle class mom in Idaho, you know, stereotypically Barbie-like, beautiful and… Um, Well-groomed well, and yeah. well-off and, you and know, what, the way things look on social media. It's yeah. always the, the highlights reel, the… She's got her shit together. She must be in control. She must be know what she's doing she, or she must know what she's doing. And there is a d- degree of relatability here when it comes to Lauren, because when it happened with Lauren, I'm like, before you even contacted me, Raylene, <laughs> I'm like, I know people who know this woman by degrees of separation. I know several people who n- know Lauren personally and know their family because geographically we come from the same town and, um, Move in the same she's circles. We run in the she's same circles. She's yeah. a doctor. We run in all the same circles. I know the schools her kids went to. Alice, it's so close to home. And also it's close to home because demographically she matches our demographic. Yeah. Yeah. However, and I'd like to I'd like to bring this up because I don't want to f- to be guilty of not being inclusive here. And that's that. This is an even greater issue. It is a great issue, and it's one that isn't given enough airtime. Because, yes, Lauren had privilege and resources and still succumbed to the unimaginable. But there, there is a long and growing list of mothers who, in South Africa, who have committed or have tried to commit in, infanticide um, or have fallen prey to infanticide. Mm. In November 2022, Eastern Cape Mama 4, Noboleko Simayile, allegedly attacked and killed her four sleeping children with a sledgehammer. In the same month, Zintle Maditla from Mpumalanga received life imprisonment four times over for poisoning each of her children. And more recently, as in on the 10th of September, 35-year-old Eastern Cape mother, Ntobi Zanele Mtizela, fetched her four children from their grandmother's house took them to a nearby forest and forced them to take rat poison. One of the children survived, but allegedly the mother of four killed herself and her three children, or three of her children, um, and police attributed this to the desperate poverty that the mother found herself in. So here we have another layer in South Africa. We've got mothers who aren't held postpartum or perinatally at all. They... They become invisible. And there are so many factors that contribute to this poverty, the just abject, cir- horrible circumstances that these people have to live in or live in. And, and not to mention, I mean, we're talking about lack of support coming from a privileged community. Yeah. N- not to even talk about 
teenage pregnancies and the 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 judgment and the horrible circumstances surrounding those mothers or that those mothers receive or find themselves in it's it's hard to think about because there's so much that's wrong with the world and it really makes you very sad mm. that you can't fix it for everyone i think i think what happened with lauren was that the in those stories there was very much still and we cannot deny it in south africa there was very much an us and them mentality we're not poverty stricken this will never happen to us until it does and now when are we going to look at the mental health yep. of mothers yes because if this is what's happening to families who come from privilege who we as outsiders can look at and be like you have you have everything you have all the support i mean you guys are medical doctors you must know a psychiatrist or a this one or a therapist or a you must have so much support but if it's happening to you if you're struggling if you are struggling can you imagine how many other people are struggling with this this mm. is not an isolated mm-hmm. situation this is prevalent so, yeah, circumstantially, Lauren's case um, and others like Lauren's case, and they have she's been compared to lots of other mothers internationally or, or a handful of other mothers internationally who have committed in infanticide. Um, she's white and privileged, and there is a lot to say, as I've mentioned, about racial context and why a white woman is more prone to hitting news headlines um, while stories like I've just mentioned and, and the other women in our country who are suffering do take a back seat. But I really do believe that on, on, in, on several levels, Lauren is not that different um, from these women. I think we must remember, and I'm mentioning something here, and I, I hope sincerely hope it's not taken out of context, but South Africa is the rape capital of the world. We have prevalent gender-based violence, um, intimate partner violence in our country. And that's a scourge that is also very indicative to underlying issues mm. of how we view women and how we view mothers. I'd like to call out fellow media for headlining any of these moms, labeling them killer mom. Killer mom in court again. No, we need to do better by our mothers. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was a... a a point that I really needed to bring across that this is not a, a standalone incident. I don't know whether you have anything else to add on that, really. No, I don't. So, as I mentioned before, this is part one of this episode, Unpacking Maternal Mental Health and Lauren Dickerson. In part two, we are going to be touching on another woefully underdimensioned and underrepresented part of this case, the IVF journey. So to all our listeners and viewers, please stay tuned for more on that as we continue the discussion about the Dickerson tragedy and maternal mental health in South Africa. Yeah. It's hard, but we do need to keep talking. No, we do. I mean, guys, we always say this. Um, if you want to weigh in on any of the topics, I think I want to urge you to please weigh in on this topic because um, this is something we have to talk about. We have to keep talking about it. it. We have a responsibility here as mothers to make our voices heard. So please, if you want to contact us, you can email us info at thegreatequalizer.co.za. 
And you're also more than welcome to send us a voice note because that's often more natural for people these days. Send, mm-hmm. it, send it to us. Drop us a note on Instagram or even record one on your phone. You know, unleash it all and drop us another mail with your thoughts and responses. What you say will not be held against. Yes. <laughs> and if you want to keep it anonymous, we can do so too. 100%. Um, also, please remember, if you haven't yet, uh, subscribe to our show. Um, you can do it on any platform of your choice. We are now on YouTube. You can get us on Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pods, or wherever else you might listen to podcasts or see them available. Please hit subscribe so you can um, get information on new episode releases. And so that's it for this episode of The Great Equalizer. Thank you for tuning in. And remember to tune in to part two of this discussion. Until next time, keep your mom game strong. Shout out to our producers over at Autumn Aperture and Arch Studios, including our editor Ray Hertz and sound engineer Stephen Krill. Please review our show notes for more on today's topic and expert guest. And for more on The Great Equalizer, our website is always a good idea, www.thegreatequalizer.co.za, along with our social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and now YouTube. And of course, if you want to chat with Sam or Charlene directly, email us at info at thegreatequalizer.co.za. We would love to hear from you. And guess what? We respond.